Iti thus tam them the sons of Pajapati Daksha known as the Shavalasvas. Api also Rajendra from King Parichi Pajasavadiya who were under the who were under the impression that begetting children was the most important duty. Muni the great sage. Upetya approaching. Narada 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 Praha Vacha words Kutani enigmatic Purvavat as he had done previously. So in this in this verse there's, there's a few interesting quite interesting words here. Um, one thing that stands out to me is this Prachasagadiya, <coughs> who were under the impression that beginning children was the most important duty. It's quite often the case that when you um, have conversations with people, especially you know, the community coming from India, and they start talking about your son, you know the first thing they generally ask is, is he married yet? And it's like that's the most important thing in life. Uh, and, and we know we know also like you know, I, I speak often with the brahmacharis here, and when their parents hear that they moved into the brahmacharya, actually, it's like oh my god, this is the worst thing in the world that could possibly happen to them. You know, they're taking shock of spiritual life. Um, and, and so we, we see that for, for people who are somewhat materialistically inclined to have progeny to expand the kingdom, this is really important. But for those who are spiritually inclined. The most important thing is to become God conscious, to become to come to the situation where actually pleasing Krishna. And of course, you can please Krishna by having children. There's not a problem there. But it, it Prabhupada would often say that Krishna consciousness means taking the eye out of everything and putting Krishna in the center of everything. So if our purpose in having children is to have God conscious children, then that's perfectly okay. But if our purpose in having children is simply to expand our dynasty and to expand our name and fame, then this is a, a great announcement. This is a big, big problem. So this is a, a, an interesting point here. And, and the, 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 the other word here that's really interesting is this is kutani. Now there's a word in, in the Bhagavad Gita which says kuta. Um, uh, kutas from kasmalami dham. So, so Krishna is saying, does anyone know what this word means? Where from? Where from? It's puzzled. It's like a quizzical expression. So where does this come from? So the same here, the kutani is being used to indicate a mystery. So the, the words that Narada Muni is presenting to the Shavalashvas, as he presented the Hayashvas, are a mystery. But who are they a mystery to? Obviously not the Hayashvas, because they understood very clearly the ten points of directly made. Who are they a mystery to? Oh man, materialistic people. They're completely bewildered about it. I was having a conversation last night with one of the devotees here, and they were talking about their father. And he's just talking about, you know, just, you know, it's like devotees sometimes they talk about the body and the things that go on. And for, for devotees, it seems like they don't really mind discussing the short, shortcomings or pitfalls of having a material body and how it's just a, you know, oftentimes it's just a source of difficulty and a source of embarrassment, really, in one sense. But then they were talking about their father, and, and their father had this disease, similar disease as what they had. But they felt, uh, the, their father felt very embarrassed by it. Actually, it was like a, uh, 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 what do you call it, a blur on his manhood, if you like. And therefore, he didn't discuss it. With his, not even with his family. His family didn't even know he had this disease for many, many years after he had that operation. Because, because of this deep identification with the body, 
he wasn't able to discuss it because he felt that you know this was a reflection upon him. <coughs> and yet we see with devotees, okay, we may not be completely off the bodily platform. We may not have progressed that much uh, along the path, but at least we have this um, at least theoretical understanding of his body and that the, the, the pains and pleasures of his body are not directly connected to me. That there, there, there's something separate. And this Prabhupada discusses in the protocol. But I just thought this is really you know, like some of the ways that Prabhupada uses the words uh, and translates the words to help us understand the point that's being made here. Very, very important. You know, this word enigmatic means mysterious or very difficult to understand. Actually, but I'm not a very educated person. So I had to look it up and see exactly what it meant because it's not a word that I commonly use. But um, it means something that's, you know, it's mysterious. And the science of bhakti is very, very, very mysterious to those who are not spiritually inclined. Very mysterious. And, and we see that, you know, if you try to present Krishna consciousness to someone who's a materialistic person, the general reaction is like, oh, this is all just mythology, or this is just all some fantastic oracle stories, and, you know, all these types of things. You know, why don't you just deal with the reality? You know, often hear them saying, you know, I'm interested in reality, this is just all fantasy, what you're talking about. You know, someone who's, you know, you know, a young boy, he's up to lift a mountain hole above his head for seven days with the little finger of his left hand, or he can, you know, suck the life out of a big demon, or he can kill, you know. I mean, you look, look at some of these stories of Krishna. I even remember what one year, one time, we were traveling in Tasmania, and there's a group of us together. And we're reading the, the, uh, the Krishna book, every night we read Krishna book, and, and so we were, we were discussing this story of Vidvita the gorilla. And you know, some pretty fantastic things were explained in this story of Krishna fighting with Vidya. And at one point, one of the boys said, who wrote that book? And he was just like really puzzled that this sort of thing could, could even happen or, or, or that you know, recorded a book. Because oftentimes we also see that you know, the books we read when we're growing up and stuff, they're all just fiction. It's all just all some stories. So, People are habituated to fiction. You know, they have movies and all this. It's all just fiction. All the stuff you see on television is just fiction. But our understanding is the scriptures deal with fact. They deal with things that have actually happened or are going to happen in the future. Just like you see in the um, 13th chapter of the first canto. Um, Dhritarashtra, Kandari, and Vidura have left the palace, used his palace and used his lamenting. And then Narada Muni, you know, he, 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 he basically philosophically explains to uh, Yusdi why he should lament. But then what he does is he tells him what's going to happen. Because Narada Muni, being a, a pure Lord devoted Christian, he can see the future. He has this capacity where he can see the future. So he tells him, this is what's going to happen. And then he, he says, you know, they've gone to the, they're going to the southern side of the Himalayas, they're going to sit down there and meditate, and you know, so many days from now, that Dhritarashtra will, will, will uh, you know, he, he will, through the process of meditation, his body will burn up, and Gandhari will enter into the plane. So he, he explains what's going to happen. And we understand this to be a fact. It's not just some speculation, it's the fact of what happened. And also we see the Bhagavatam, it also describes to us how this age is going to develop. You see the twelfth canto, it tells us very, very precisely. Keep in mind, this book was written 5,000 or, or you know, documented or written down 5,000 years ago. And we see that the things that are being described in the Srimad Bhagavatam are actually becoming true. They're happening, they have happened. Even though it was written 5,000 years ago, we can see that what's being described there is happening, has happened, and will happen. And even it describes that the, the end of, towards the end of this age, then the Lord will appear as Kalki. So we understand this will happen. The, 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 the Bhagavatam is very, very important literature and is dealing with the reality of this material world. And the whole purpose of the Bhagavatam is to inspire us to give up attachment to this material world, become God conscious, and return back to the spiritual world. So it's a very, very uh, important literature. 
All right, so I'll read this. There's, there's no purport to this translation, but I'll read the next one as well. O King Parishad, Narabhuni approached these sons of Prajapati Daksha, who were engaged in Tapashi, Tapasha to beget children, and spoke enigmatic words to them, just as he had spoken to their elder brothers, responsibly. O King Parishad, Narabhuni approached these sons of Prajapati Daksha, who were engaged in Tapasha to, be, to beget children and spoke enigmatic words to them, just as he had spoken to their elder brothers. So text 30. Dakshayana Sangshutna Gadato Negamandama Anvichatanupadavim Bratrinam Bratrivatsala. Translation. O sons of Daksha, please hear my words of instruction attentively. You are all very affectionate to your elder brothers, the Hayashvas. Therefore, you should follow their path. So, also, you know, a very interesting verse here where Arjuna, uh, sorry, um, uh, Narada is saying to the Savalashas, please hear my instructions attentively. We see the same thing Krishna says. You know, we, we know with the Bhagavad Gita has broken into three distinct sections. And the, the, the middle six sections are kind of like the essence of the instruction. And, and the, the very first verse in the seventh chapter, which is the beginning of instructions, Krishna says to Arjuna, he says, now hear from me, O Sankhuti, how by practicing yoga and full devotion for me, you, you can know me in, in, in full, free from doubt. And there's a nice verse of a nice class that Prabhupada gave here in Melbourne Temple in 1973 or 4, I think it was, where he 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 emphasizes this this these words, touch trinum, just here. He really emphasizes this point. And, and, and Prabhupada is wondering how we need to hear attentively because if we listen carefully, we can actually understand the transcendental science. Whereas if we don't listen attentively, we don't you know, try to properly understand the instruction. Just like we see with the Hariyashras, Narayana explained to them in simple, in simple four, was it four verses, he explained to them. Maybe it's, battery's dead. I can always talk loud. Oh, we've got another one. How many more of these you've got to cover? So in, in four verses he explains, he uses allegories. You know, so he, he's giving an example to tell a story. But because the Hayashkas listened, because Narayana was potent, and because they were receptive and also themselves Fertile, their intelligence was fertile. Prabhupada often uses the example of when a man and a woman get married. If the man is potent and the woman is fertile, then children will result. So we see here that in, in, the, in the beginning of the story, Narayana is certainly potent. He's a very, very potent preacher, extremely potent. And I remember years ago listening to a um, Bhagavatam class in Vrindavan. And the speaker was explaining that it's just like with, 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 you, know, you can listen to the Bhagavatam, the same verse you can listen to from many different speakers. And you'll get different understandings from listening to that verse. But then if you listen to the same class from someone of the depth of realization through a Bhagavatam, this knowledge that what he's presenting just goes straight to the heart. So we can see it with someone like Narayana because he has this depth of understanding that when he's presenting the scriptures, when he's presenting the knowledge to, to different devotees, that it goes directly to their heart and that they understand it. And also because the Hayashkas were fertile, their consciousness was quite fertile, and they listened very carefully, then they received this knowledge. And the same thing is going to happen here with Shavalashas, because they are also quite um, elevated, they have clear consciousness, and they, they listen attentively to Narayana's instructions Therefore, this instruction goes to their heart and they understand Narayana's point. They get the point and therefore they, they give up their, their attachment to performing these 
Tapasha is Tapasha in order to get children and realize that the point of Tapasha, as I was explaining the other day, uh, Rishab Devi explains at the beginning of the fifth chapter of the fifth canto, he says, Tapo Devyam Shaktam, that the point of Tapasha is not to gain some material benefit. But many people do that, especially those who are Karmakathya. They follow Tapasha in order to get some material benediction, in order to get some material gain. But the real point of Tapasha is to understand the divine. Otherwise you're just wasting time. And, and, and we've been here for countless lives, you know, there's many prayers in the Bhagavatam pointing out that we should actually use this life to understand the Supreme, to understand what is our duty. And, you know, I was quoting this verse the other day in, in, in the uh, seventh canto. Um, Nara Pralapra, he says, Koma Ashar Prakao Dhamma Bhagavatam Durabhavansanta Tarapiya Durabhavatam. That, you know, an intelligent person from the very beginning of their life should use this human form life to practice Dharma. And the point of Dharma is to understand who I am, who is the Supreme Person and therefore what is my duty. No, it's not just to, to have some kind of chattel material life. We, we, we see that, you know, uh, it's quite common that people see that the, the four goals of life are Dharma, Arthur, Kala, Moksha. So for them, Dharma means you follow the rules as duties, but you know, it's more about having a, a, a pious life, more, more about you know, getting a good situation in life. It's got not really that much to do with, with understanding God. It's a, it's a very materialistic approach to religion. And we see throughout the world, so many people practicing religion, their approach is largely material. If, if, they, if they're seen as being pious people, they think they've had a successful life. But in devotional service, in, in the process of bhakti, this is not the goal. The goal is the ultimate satisfaction of Krishna. And this, this point it, it, it is made, uh, I think it's in the second chapter of the first canto. There's a few verses there, I don't remember the verses, but I remember the gist of it. And basically it's being explained there that you know, um, you know, the, the purpose of, of, of life is to actually, you know, for some city, honey, for Chanel, inventions. There's some, some city, some, some city, like city means perfection. Some city means like the complete or the most perfect perfection. Hari Toshina, Hari obviously means Lord. Toshina means to satisfy him. So if you satisfy Krishna, you've achieved the complete perfection of life. But then the next verse it says, it talks about Mahana Shabhava, There's actually, if you don't achieve this point of satisfying Krishna, then your endeavors in Mahana are a useless waste of time. So the Bhagavatam, and this is the point that's, that's made right in the beginning of the Bhagavatam, where um, it, it says that the Bhagavatam kicks out all these different types of cheating religion, and it just focuses exclusively on understanding what is our purpose in life and how to achieve that. This is the point of the Bhagavatam. This is why you know, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is such an important literature, because it's not bothering with all the, the fluff or the flowery, you know, the Veda Vatarata, and all the flowery words of the Vedas. It doesn't bother with that sort of stuff. It just focuses clearly on and exclusively on understanding who is the Supreme Person of God, who am I, and what is my duty, and showing us how to achieve the goal of life. It's a very, very important literature. Um, Narabuni encouraged Prajapati Daksha's second group of sons by awakening their natural affinity for their brothers. Really, Narabuni is a, is a first class preacher. And you'll see here, he's using so many different strategies. Like, you know, with, with the, um, the Hayashwaras, they practice compassion. You can see they have very clear intelligence, so he's just going to speak with them. Now he's saying, okay, the, the, the brothers may be somewhat wary. Of, of, of my preaching, therefore I have others attacking. So he goes and he says, straight away he said, you, know, you should, you know, your, your brothers who are very affectionate, you are very affectionate too, you should follow their path. <laughs> preaching strategy. So, so they haven't even met their brothers, yeah. But he's using, because the, 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 it's that promise is in natural affinity. You know, even though you haven't met them, as soon as you understand his relationship, there's a, there's a like, you know, it's almost like a hardwired affinity. And then, 
And then we see later on in, in, in this chapter, he goes to Daksha using another preaching strategy. He's thinking, oh, okay, he's distressed because his sons have all left him. Um, therefore, he, he's, he's you know, possibly thinking of, well, you know, I should give all this up because, you know, like this, uh, Prabhupada uses the, um, the, the this, or introduces this concept of smasam bhairagya. So smasam means the burning gun. So when, when people go to, to, to you know, when their, their relatives die, they go to the, to the crematorium or cremation grounds or whatever, and they're thinking, you know, they start to think, oh, you know, this life is such a, a misery, you know, why should I waste my time, I should just give it all up. Just like we saw at the start of the pandemic, it was really interesting. A lot of people were talking about, you know, because they're suffering because of, you know, it was revealed that this pandemic came because of meat eating. You know, it came from these wet markets, this is what they're saying, it came from these wet markets in China. And therefore, people were drawing a direct connection between meat eating and the pandemic. So you see, like, there's a lot of, like, on social media stuff, people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to give up meat. You know, I'm going to give up eating meat. It's cruel to the animals, but it's actually very bad for your health. But how many people did? It's, it's usually a temporary thing because there's not a lot of depth of realization. But then we see, and the same thing with, with uh, Daksha. He didn't actually have a lot of depth of realization on that, but he did. But the point, what the point I'm making is that, um, that Narad Muni, he, he, he's a brilliant preacher and he, 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 he uses so many different strategies and tactics to try to awaken people's Christian consciousness. He urged them to follow their brothers if they were all affectionate toward them. Family affection is very strong and therefore Narad Muni followed this tactic of reminding them of their family relationship with the Hayashvas. Generally, the word Nikama refers to the Vedas. But here, Nikama refers to the instructions contained in the Vedas. Srimad Bhagavatam says, Nikama kalpatalo balam. The Vedic instructions are like a tree of which the Srimad Bhagavatam is the bright fruit. And we see, like with the Vedas, you know, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu points out that in the Vedas there's actually only, only three real, real topics. Does anyone know the topics that the, the Vedas that Mahaprabhu points out? The only three topics in the And so we see that the Veda is also talking about who we are, what our relationship is, the process, and the goal. And the Bhagavatam really focuses in, defines that goal very, very explicitly for us as being, you know, achieving this love of Godhead and going back to the spiritual realm. So, and, and so therefore we see it uh, as being explained here as this Galitam Palam, this, this, uh, this, you know, the, the, the ripened fruit of the tree of the Veda. Narayana is engaged in distributing this fruit, and therefore he instructed Vyasadeva to write this Mahaparana, Srimad Bhagavatam, for the benefit of the ignorant human society. So we see, you know, like, like oftentimes, even in Islam, we'll see the same, the same thing, is when a spiritual master has a particular mission that he's, he's eager to push on, he engages his disciples in also promoting a, 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 and developing that mission. The same we see with Srila Prabhupada. He, the, the main thing he engaged, he engaged his disciples in many things, but the main thing he engaged his disciples in was, was printing and distributing transcendental literatures. Because this was the instruction he received from his group. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said to Shilpala, uh, he said, you're an intelligent young man, uh, you know, if you ever get money, I want you to translate and print books in the English language. So he did that. And he engaged his, he engaged his disciples in the same thing. So we see this is like, Prabhupada would often refer to this as the family business. And so we can see here also that this is Narayana business. Is he is engaged in propagation of Bhagavatam, with all this, this knowledge of Krishna, so he's engaged his disciples, uh, especially Srila Vyasadeva, in doing that. And then Prabhupada quotes this really uh, wonderful verse from the sixth chapter, sixth chapter, or seventh chapter of the first canto. Anata Apushamam Sakshad Bhakti Yoga and Hoxajay, Lokashya Janato Vidivans, Chakri Sakhita. The material mysteries we're looking into, which has a purpose to him, 
can be directly mitigated by the linking process of promotional service. But the mass of people do not know this. Therefore, the Lord of Yasudev compiled his Vedic literature, which is in relation to the Supreme Truth. Srimad Bhagavatam 176. People are suffering because of ignorance and are following a wrong path to happiness. This is called Tanata. These material activities will never make them happy. Therefore, Narada instructed Vyasadeva to record the instructions of Srimad Bhagavatam. Vyasadeva actually followed Narada and did this. Srimad Bhagavatam is the supreme instruction of the Vedas. Galatam Thalama, the ripened fruit of the Vedas, is Srimad Bhagavatam. So we see here this verse that um, the Prabhupada is quoting from the, uh, the seventh chapter of the first canto. The, the, the evolution of the conversation there is um, chapters 4, 5, 6. Chapter 4 is the appearance of Nara. 5 and 6 are, 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 is Nara instructing, or his, his conversation with Vyasa, and then he was instructing Vyasa. And then in the first 11 verses of the seventh chapter is um, the, the sages, I think the sages are asking, well, what, what did Nara do? Oh, I'm sorry, what did Vyasa do after he received those instructions? And so that these first 11 verses are explaining that. And, and it concludes with the, because then he asks, you know, after this verse he asks, well, well why did Sukhadeva Swami, why did he engage in these um, difficult austerities? And then, then, uh, then uh, Sukhadeva speaks to the, um, the very well-known Aparambas, Aparambas Chumurayo, and explains that the reason he did this was because of um, you know, his compassionate nature. But in this verse that Prabhupada is quoting here, uh, very, very interesting, he, he starts off by saying, you know, the material mysteries of living entity which are superfluous to him. So, you know, we find that in this material world that everyone identifies with the miseries that are happening to the body. But as we progress in devotional service, we can see, you know, even though we may not, as I was saying before, we may not be fully understanding this, we may not be fully realized, but we start to understand in the beginning, it's intellectually, but as we evolve, it becomes more and more deep, and we actually start to have deep realizations. But these, these miseries that are happening to us, they're temporary, and they come and go. And Krishna makes this point in so many different ways in the Bhagavad Gita, but uh, one, one way in particular he, he, he talks about it is in the, um, it's the second chapter, where he, he talks about how, uh, he said, the, the non-perfect appearance of happiness and distress and just like the appearance and disappearance of some of the seasons, they arise from sense perception. Therefore, we need to learn to tolerate these things without being disturbed. So, because of sense perception, because we see the body as a self, because we think of the body as a self, but actually, this is not us. You know, and all it just all it takes is just a little bit of logical um, analysis of the situation. We can see, you know, I, I had you know a particular type of body when I was a baby. And now you know, I evolve into a child, and the body changes, and, and we can see how we can, as we go through life how the body is changing. But it's interesting, is you know, like like the things I didn't like when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nineteen years old, I still don't like them now. I don't like cold weather. I, I, I don't like cold showers. I don't like you know any of these things. You know, I don't like certain types of food. I still don't like them. You know, no matter how much people try to convince me to eat quietness, I just cannot deal with them. It's like, no way. You know, but some people love them. But so this is just, this is, the, this is me, this is my particular set of senses, this is my particular guna and karma has put me in a situation where I don't like certain things, I do like other things. Uh, and, and, and we find that, you know, um, in certain conditions of life, certain living entities will respond in a very favorable way that it helps them to you know, evolve. But other people put in exactly the same position of life, in exactly the same condition, it's, it's stifling for this, and restricting is limiting. You know, so it's all about the guru karma sense perception. It's all because I have this particular set of senses, this particular body, which is developed from my karma and situation from the previous life, therefore in this life I find things favorable and things unfavorable. But another person, even someone who could be my twin, would find the exact opposite. So this is just good and karma associated with the particular entity. And therefore, if we understand how these things have evolved, we can also understand, uh, you know, 
as I say, at least intellectually beginning, that this is all just due to my particular set of senses. And by contemplating this in greatly, by, by, by you know, discussing it and trying to understand, then, then our realization of these things will deepen and we'll come to the point where we actually understand that I'm not this material body and we'll act on that platform. I'm not this material body, I'm a spirit soul, eternal soul of Krishna. And that's why it's really important that we regularly discuss these, these um, topics. And, and Prabhupada would say to discuss them threadbare, meaning to discuss from all different angles, to see it from all different angles. Okay, it's, it's like, you know, it's easy, it's easy when you see suffering happen to someone else that you're not the body. You can say, you know, it's quite easy. But when it's happening to you, oh, my back hurts, and you know, it's, all, you know, it's all me, me, me kind of thing, you know. But as we evolve spiritually, we can see that uh, we start to understand more and more how this is not actually me. This is just the machine that's not functioning. It's just like, you know, um, a friend loaned me his car while he, because he, he's in Brisbane, so he got his car to drive around it. And, um, you know, it has, even though it's, you know, a nice car, so-called nice car, it's got certain mechanical faults. But it's just, it's just a car, it's just, it's just a machine. And, and, and it doesn't matter how good a machine you have, at some point, after constant use, they wear down, they start to malfunction. So it's the same with the body. It's just a machine. It's a very sophisticated machine. It's a machine that can repair itself, which is pretty cool. You can imagine having a car that, you know, someone bangs with your car like a few months later, it repairs itself. You really sell a lot of that. But that's what the body's like. It's a machine, but it's a very, very sophisticated machine. But as with all machines, as you use them, they wear down. So as you get older, you know, the lungs are wearing down, the digestion, the whole thing becomes all flabby. You know, just like in, 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 if you look at the, the, the intestines, they're all kind of like, you know, all these little, um, I don't know what you call it, the sort of ribbed areas, you know, so it's got a maximum area for absorbing uh, the things that go through it, you know, whatever uh, nutrients you put into it. But then as you get older, the whole thing becomes all flabby and, 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 and blocked up with, um, you know, different types of, you know, like stool and things like that. And, and then the capacity to absorb is reduced. And then the fire of digestion also, it wears, it wears down and things like that. So, you can see, and that's just a simple example, you know, like joints. As the joints are moving uh, constantly, then what happens is, is you know, the, the, um, there's little, bits of lubricant kept in between the, the, the placement between the joints, but that wears out, that dries up. And so many things happen like that as you get older. But it's just the machine wearing down. And, and then by discussing these things and, you know, and also experiencing these things, we can start to understand there is a separation between the body and the self. And so it's very important that Prabhupada would, would regularly uh, encourage folks to discuss these things straight so we can understand this thing very, very clearly, how we're not this body, we're, we're, we're a spirit soul, and we're Krishna's eternal servant. And we see also here that the Prabhupada, he's quoting this verse here, saying how the, the, these, these uh, sufferings in the material body are superfluous. I mean, they're not actually directly connected with us, but the problem comes is when we identify with the body, then we identify with the suffering of the body, therefore we experience it. But if we understand that we're not this material body, we understand that the sufferings of the body are only related to the body, then we are able to detach ourselves from these things. And they get to, they get to the point where they don't actually interfere with your practice of bhakti. They don't actually interfere anymore with your relationship with Krishna. But if we identify with these things, that gives them the potential to interfere with our relationship with Krishna. So it's very, uh, a very important verse here. And many, uh, many, many important points that Shri Prabhupada brings out. And we, we could say so much more, but in the interest of time, I will finish there. Any um, comments or questions? It's pretty much. I saw your head first. Thank you for the nice class. Um, my question is a few verses down and Daksha says, Daksha says that um, when he gets annoyed that not really took them away, Daksha says, 
they should have uh, been allowed to procreate and live their life, and then when they're older, then that's their choice if they want to go. So um, actually, in the ninth canto, there's an interesting episode where uh, Yadov, who's the son of Puru, Yadov Maharaj, who's the son of Puru, Puravas. Um, so there, what happens is when Puravas says, uh, "I would like to, one of his sons to exchange your youth with me." Yadu says that I won't do it because he says, he gives a very good explanation. Uh, he says that when one is young, he has to be given a chance to enjoy his life. Then he will be properly situated in the next ashram, one of So, um, like when I read the purport, I thought that was slang. But actually, he says it's true what he's saying that if they are not engaged, those preparatories are not properly engaged, then one will not be so in this situation when one actually takes it out. So is there any, there's truth in, um, like Daksha's basically saying that's the natural flaw, so I'm saying there, there is weight in his argument that he puts to Narayana. Sorry? There is weight in his argument that he puts to Narayana, that you shouldn't have taken them straight away. Yeah, but then you see the same, the same point is there in that pastime you just described as is here, is Daksha's intention is to enjoy his life. And the same as, you know, um, who was he saying? Purana. the same, enjoy his life. But Narayana is coming from a completely different angle of vision. He's and he's coming from the absolute perspective, whereas no, this is a relative perspective, because enjoyment is quite relative. You know, like, like for most of you, the weather here is quite nice. But, you know, and, you know, I mean, autumn in Melbourne is a nice time, but it's still a bit cold for me. You know? But I see most of you are sitting around in, you know, fairly light clothes. I've got a whole hoodie on them. Because I, you know, I, I find it cold here. But it, that's, that's relative. It's relative to me. And not everyone, not everyone sees it the same way. But then Narad Muni is speaking absolute instructions. He's speaking about the absolute truth. And he's seeing that these are intelligent people. And therefore, he's giving them the opportunity to understand the absolute truth. Whereas Daksha, he's engaging them in begetting children. That is not the absolute truth. That is a relative uh, thing that's associated with the true world. Of course, you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, you know, for devotees to get married and have children so they can become Christians, to try to raise Krishna conscious children, is also an activity connected with Krishna. So it's ultimately liberating, it's ultimately purifying. But we need to understand that those persons who, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, those persons who get married to have children, there are some desires there in their heart. Therefore, they need to get married in order to overcome those desires. Of course, there are people who uh, do get married exclusively for the purpose of doing service for Krishna. But I can tell you, in fact, I'm not on that level. Uh, and I don't know how many girls are, but some, some I'm sure, are at that level. But um, you know, this is very, very bad stuff. So that was like an express, express fact. <laughs> like in Mount Sandaksha was saying, like the word national or whatever. But Malvin was had the express like, express higher solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, 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 he's completely transcendental because these other perspectives are coming from the material plane. It's a material consciousness ultimately. Even though they may be, we see Daksha. He's a very, very advanced person. Very, very advanced materials. He's a very, very powerful materials. The fact that he can have eleven thousand sons is pretty impressive. Yeah. So. Um, if I want to know if I can do um, In the past, the Lord says that although he granted this boon to Daksha, he didn't really favor him. And that was like, wait a minute, how can the Lord not favor someone? And now based on all this, um, you know, can you say, I was thinking how, um, it's like the child throws a tantrum and the parent says, okay, have it, even though it's not good for you. The classic example Prabhupada gives. So it looks like, is, would that be a case here? And then when Arjuna comes, that's why, even though it was against the Lord's yeah. instruction, he didn't raise yeah. it. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if Daksha was throwing a tantrum at that point. They think he throws a bit of a tantrum later on when he curses Narayana. But the, the point is, is like Daksha 
had material desires. He wanted to be able to procreate, and the procreate was very powerful, and that's why he approached the Lord. And, you know, we see sometimes in different pastimes, Krishna will give people material facility, if, if necessary. But if they're interested in bhakti, you know, and the material facility is ultimately, it's not, a, not really a benediction, even though the materialists may think, wow, look at what I've got, you know. Like, I mean, so often you, you, you meet people and brag about their material possessions, and you think, well, so what? You know, what does it, it mean, really? But if, if, if the Lord's bestowing his, his favor upon you, it means he's awarding you with pure and loyal devotion, and this is a rare thing to achieve. And one can only achieve pure bhakti by the cause of mercy of the Lord. It's not, it's, not, it's not like something you can go out and, and, and you know, we see, like, if you, you look at the um, chapter 4 of the first canto, this chapter describes Narada's appearance and how he, you know, after his um, mother passed away, he, he, he left the, um, the, the Mahabharata devotees and then he sat down by, by the water and he meditated upon the Lord, the Lord appeared out of his cause of mercy. Yet, he spent the rest of his life trying to see the Lord again. He didn't appear. Even though a greatly qualified person like Paramuni couldn't force the Lord's hand. So it, it, it's, it's out of great mercy and compassion that we actually get the favor of the Lord. But, it's, but the Lord is the well-wishing friend of all the entities. So That's right. He, sh what, he should be doing all his worship and... <laughs> Yeah, but the, the, the thing is, it's, it's, it's also a matter of, of, of qualification. That, you know, what's the point of giving something, you know, like, you know, like, okay, if a child, you get, you get like a five-year-old child, and they, they, they have a toy Lamborghini, and they, they say, Daddy, Daddy, buy me a Lamborghini, like a real one. And so you buy the child a Lamborghini, gets the Lamborghini, doesn't know how to drive, crashes into a pole, kills him. You know? it's, it's by qualification. You get these things by qualification. What's the point of giving someone something they're not qualified to use it? You know, or giving a child a handgun, you know, a loaded gun. You know, they don't know how to use it, they'll play games, they'll shoot their friends, they'll shoot themselves and stuff like that. But he could have, I've been on him for a long time, but he could have given him something tail away for him. He had the desire to procreate. That, see, that was his desire. And unless one's willing to give up these material desires, you know, there's no point awarding them the benediction of, of, of pure bhakti because it, they, they'll get that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll practice bhakti when they'll go back to material desires. One has to cleanse the heart. And this, this is the point that Prabhupada's making by quoting this verse. Anatha Upa you have to get rid of these anathas before you'll actually understand, you know, understand because you know, the living entity is, is attached to all these things. They're seeing that this is my path of enjoyment. And as long as they have that desire, this is my path of enjoyment, this is the desire to achieve these things, they can never really fully come to the point of bhakti. Bhakti means being free from all these things. Yes, Mahesh. Thank you, um, Actually, I just wanted to also like ask a comment, I'm not so sure, but uh, when you mean qualification, like that would mean more like even free will to some extent, right? Because we it's see free will, because we see that Narada Muni he, um, instructed Haryashwas and um, the next, the 1000 sons, but you know, they just immediately listened to him, like they did not. Um, argue or anything like that, like they just took the instruction and they just followed it. Whereas we see with Daksha, when Narada Muni, like, after the 1000 Sanjis, Daksha is like, ghost him, like, it, it was almost like a rebel kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's what I just wanted to say. So it's also the free will, right, because the, uh, like, as we were discussing, that the Lord might want to give, and I think you were saying about qualification, yeah. but if you don't have that, that um, the desire is not strong enough for uh, um, like first uh, complete surrender to Krishna. Yeah. So it's like the f because you know, Krishna will force uh, force the Brahmanas, like yeah. it has to be. Yeah. But 
Well, we see, we see like with the Hayashas and the Shalashas, is that they were very qualified, they were, they were very learned, they were very renounced, they were very detached, um, but also they were humble. That was the quality that Daksha was lacking. It didn't have humility. You know, you know, like, and we see, because, you know, like if you look earlier on, Prabhupada, actually Vishnu Shakari Thakur, and Prabhupada quotes Vishnu Shakari Thakur, describes that the reason that Daksha wound up cursing him is because there was still some residual envy from his interaction with Shiva, and he was still, he was still, you know, suffering the, the effects of his offense to Lord Shiva. And, and so when Narad Muni, um, you know, uh, preached to his sons to be, you know, to follow the path of Paramahansa, and they did, that envy came up again. And, and so, you know, it's, it's one thing that you'll often see, it's like, you know, people can practice, you know, renunciation, they can practice a spiritual path, they can practice so many things, sense control, mind control, stuff like that. But if there's um, you know, residual anathas within the heart, all you have to do is you push their buttons in the right way, and you'll see that these things will come out. And so like, even though Daksha is, is you know, presenting himself as being a, an elevated trans, you know, transcendental so-called, um, we see that when he was agitated in a particular way, then the anger came out again. So it's, you can understand that's there in the heart. And it's the same for us, and you know, like, better, you know, better we don't look at others, their, their situation, look at our own situation, you see, you know, like, what's there in my heart that I need to remove? So that when, and, and, you know, when these things happen, that I don't become agitated, that I'm able to think of Krishna. Because you'll see there's so many, so many stories we've seen in Bhagavatam, where people are pushed in particular ways and the anger comes out or, or the, the greed or the lust or whatever, these things come out. So the process of bhakti helps us to remove these anathas. That's, that's the whole point of Vaisadha Bhakti. There's anatha nivritti. It means like destroying or removing the anathas. So we, you know, Daksha hadn't achieved that point, whereas the Hayashas and Shalashas because they were humble, they accepted Narayana's instructions and therefore they were able to cleanse themselves of any, any anathas they may have had. But because Daksha wasn't humble, because he had envy, therefore he acted in a way that was ultimately not for his own good. And, and you know, Narayana was fine with it. And you can see this also, you know, this, this pastime shows you a very distinct difference between a pure Vaishnava and a, a materialistic person. A materialistic person, as soon as you agitate them, anger, envy, hatred, these things come out. Whereas Narayana, pure Vaishnava, you know, I mean, Daksha's just cursing him. Like, saying some pretty, you know, he's saying some pretty harsh things, you know. In, in, in this day and age, someone says these things, but what, you know? But at this time, you know, the very cultured people, like Prabhupada's strongest word was rascal. I mean, you call someone a rascal now, so, so is that, that, that all you've got? <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but he's saying, like, if you look at the culture there, you can see that, um, yeah, he's saying, you're not a good body. You, you, you hang out with Lord Vishnu, but you're not qualified to hang out with Lord Vishnu. You know, you, you, all these other persons are so much more qualified than you. <clears throat> no, but he is very, very highly qualified. But because he doesn't have envy in his heart, because he doesn't have pride, He's just okay. But the other said, you know, so why, 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 why do you offer that's good? I accept that. Because he's humble, because he's a pure unwind Vaishnava. So you can see it's a, it's a wonderful pastime of demonstrating the difference between a non devotee and an advanced devotee. So it's good lessons for us in these pastimes also. Yeah? No, I think that's just a non devotee. Huh? Well, a materialistic person. Yeah, it's a materialistic person. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't say more Yeah, it's definitely a materialistic person. But I'm making the point is like it demonstrates the difference between the two, the two um, situations, and and and, and how um, a great event. Because you know, probably will say, "Palaya palajita." You judge a thing by the results. You can judge something by the symptoms. So we can see with Daksha the way he responded. Uh, indicated that there was things in his heart. Whereas we can see the way that Narayana 
the responder can see is very pure. Also teaches us to recognise the differences between devotees. Yeah. Not all devotees, a devotee is good, but not all devotees are motivated to the same, by the same, with the same motivations. Yeah, exactly. And um, no, really quite, quite the uh, epitome of pure devotion. Yeah. So you can go anywhere he likes. <laughs> yeah. And and the epitome of a preacher. Yes. He, he's he's the most amazing preacher. He he just takes takes the whole name everywhere. Yeah. And Dutch is kind of a bit of an attached. He's the he's the epitome of the attached householder. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, these past <laughs> are so wonderful to help us understand uh, the situation in the world. And there's, there's a nice purport um, in the first canto uh, where Srila Prabhupada is glorifying Narad Muni and he says we are very thankful to Narad Muni for appearing in the pages of the Srila Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. So it's very nice, yeah, there's many, many wonderful pastimes of Narad Muni. You know, con- the contrast uh, to Daksha is Ambrish Maharaj. Yeah. Right. So, um, just because, and, and this kind of pastime presents the dichotomy between the sannyasis, if you like, and the householders, but, um, and the conflict, between potential conflict between the two. But uh, if you look at other regions, it's very detached yeah. householder, and so. There's not always that conflict between households and sannyasis, um, especially when there's detachment on both sides. But the danger, of the, and this teaches us the danger of the household of life is when one's blessed with opulence and position or whatever, that it can be detrimental yeah. to, your, to your spiritual progress. Especially if you're attached to that's right. Yeah. Thank you. So far, party, so I'm going to go to the party, 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 I'm going to go to the party,